This is the best, most fun I have ever, ever, ever had on a podcast. This is a hit. I'm Jesse Cole, your host of Business Done Differently, where we get to meet successful people who look at business differently, and we get to know them in a different way. Your cast members are your guests, and if you give them great service, and you create these magical moments for them, and you make sure you're taking care of them, then uh, when they go out and help the guests, they'll be more likely to do that because you put them in the right mindset. And theoretically, they just care a lot. They care about you, they care about the organization. By having that attention to detail and accountability, it really just comes down to caring. Today's guest is Dan Cockrell, who worked for the Walt Disney Company for 26 years before leaving in May of 28 and finished his Disney career president of the Magic Kingdom in 12,000 cast members. Previously, Dan has done a little bit of everything with Disney. Disneyland Paris, vice president of Epcot, P of Hollywood Studio, and Dan's father, Lee Cockrell, was a previous guest on episode 103 of Today. We're going to dive deep on creating magic customer service and magic culture. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So I want to have some fun and start with magic moments because I got to give you, I'm sure everyone has shared Disney stories with you and that's pretty, that says a lot about the culture. But when I was an eight-year-old kid, I went to Typhoon Lagoon and I got there early and they started asking trivia questions and I was able to answer some of the questions about Typhoon Lagoon and they named me the Big Kahuna. And I was allowed to go into the park before anyone else and went on all the slides, went in the wave pool 30 minutes before everyone else. And it was a moment I'll absolutely never forget. And even just two months ago, Dan, I went back to uh, Epcot and I was in the yellow tuxedo. I actually did a world book tour as a joke at Epcot in my yellow tuxedo. And my (laughs) wife was pregnant and the woman looked at us and she gave us a free magic parking pass. So parking was free. And I was blown away. I mean, there's still these magic moments. And I would love for you to to share, you know, some of these magic moments that you've taught and, you know, how you got to build that with your cast members. Yeah, well, it's funny that you remember those kind of things. And, and in a big company like Disney, those are, you know, we, we, we focus on the big stuff, but we realize that guests uh, always remember the little things. And I would tell you out of the gate, the, 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 the secret, I'll let you know the secret at Disney, how we've created these is you got to let your, your employees be creative and you just got to get out of the way um my 26 years at disney i realized a big part of my job was leading teams and a a big part of my job as i moved up the organization was learning to get out of the way and so when you go challenge them because you know becoming like disney you use a lot of processes you have a lot of uh standard operating guidelines to make sure everything works right and that can work against this sort of spontaneous creative environment but um we try to get, tell our cast members, you know, use your creativity, put yourself in a kid's shoes. What are the things that you remember when you were growing up or what's something you think would be special and you just let it go. And I'll tell you, there's not a book, there's not a big book at Disney that lists all the magical moments that exist. I think it's become, it's a cultural piece. And once you can build things in culturally that um, allows your employees, and in our case, our cast members to start doing these things without being worried about getting in trouble or being worried about being coached for not following the rules, um, you start to these these great moments start to happen. And when I was uh, when I was little, second grade, we used to go to this diner in Glen Ellen, Illinois. And I remember the diner was a place where when you left, if you could step on the magic tile, this little treasure box would open, and you'd get like the three cent spider ring or something. And, and every time we went out, I wanted to go to that diner because I got to be get the magical treasure. And so. 
you know, we, we like to build these big attractions and these big incredible moments, but also, to your point, empowering everyone to come up with these ideas. And you can have sessions, and you can come in and say, hey, we want to create some incredible, memorable moments. What do you all think we should do? And you have tons of creativity in your organization. You just got to ask for it. Yeah. Well, I love that. I, and well, definitely, I want to get into the culture. But, like, you know, it's not easy for everyone to come up with these ideas. And, you know, I'd love for you. I mean, does some stand out for you? Like, little things. I mean, it's, it's those details that really stand out for me. And, you know, it said put yourself in the kid's shoes. You know, what are some things you've seen, you know, from Epcot, from, uh, you know, Magic Kingdom to Hollywood Studios, things that, you know, the cast members did that really stood out? And how do you celebrate them, too? I'm, I'm curious on that. Yeah, so um, one of the things that we have the confection area is you walk into the Magic Kingdom on the right-hand side there. And so obviously we have cast members there, and if you go in there, they're making cotton candy, they're making the fudge, they're doing all that kind of thing. And so we talk to them is, okay, if you were going to do something magical in this place and have an experience, what would you all do? And quickly, so well, chef of the day. We get someone, we get a little apron for them. They'd come in, they'd help us decorate, and then they could get their picture taken, and then we'll give them dessert they created. And that became the thing. Um, and other people said, well, you know, when I was at the mall, uh, when you go to the food court, people stand out front, they give you free samples. Why don't we do that here when we have some extra time and we have some extra product? And so we said, all right, go ahead and do that and, uh, and go outside. And so it's these little giveaways, these little extra things we do. And uh, the cast members really love that. And so we do. We get, we get um, every single guest letter that uh, comes to the executives at Disney go to their, their email inboxes, all the complaints, all the compliments. And I always made a point to make sure that every single – obviously the complaint letters, we wanted to address those. We want – we made them right. Look at see if there's any um, trends or processes that we could fix. But the compliments, it was incredibly important for us to um, write notes back to the cast members. I read every one of those. I would send a card to the cast member celebrating whatever the guest complimented them on. And for me, if you if you ever missed a compliment, it was a travesty because you got to get those back to the cast. They realize how big a deal it is. Like you know your story about Typhoon Lagoon. Um, if you ever wrote a letter, or if I was a, a Disney person listening to this podcast, I, I'd go back and tell people, hey, don't forget the impact you're making. It may not seem like a big deal to you, but it's certainly a big deal to them because people remember that. Um, and we'd go to attractions, we'd go to food and beverage locations, and we'd say, all right, when you open in the morning, what's the magical moment going to be? What, what can we share, share with, with others? others? Mm -hmm. uh, during the day, what can you do? Um, at uh, the studios, they had what they called the magic tray. So all the trays were, I think, blue, and we'd slip a red one in. And if you got the red tray, you got a free cookie, and we'd do a big celebration because you got the, the magical red tray. And that became a little thing we did there. And um, sometimes finance would come and say, well, how many trays do you have and how many cookies you're giving away? You know, you always have to be careful to push back and say, look, we're not going to go back bankrupt because we're giving away a free cookie every once in a while. And, we're not. and so these are all those little things. That they don't cost a lot. Um, but, um, when you're really busy, um, it's hard to remind everyone to execute upon these, but it's all the spontaneous moments that really, I think people get excited about, you know, they expect to be clean. They expect people to be nice, but, uh, creating the unexpected moments is where you differentiate your, your product. And that's where people start to expect that it's going to be differentiated and your business gets better. Oh, that's brilliant. So, I mean, it's almost looking at every single station. So when you're walking through the magic kingdom, it's every store, it's every ride, it's every little piece that a customer coming to, how can you provide 
a magical moment. And I'll give you an example, Dan. We, we, we talk with our staff, you know, even our finance director, how can she provide a fans for moment? And so now every week we pay, we have a handwritten note with like a cartoon that's fitting to that bill. And every single and so like we try to look at, even if it's finance, and I wonder, is that just something that's, is that trained in the beginning? Like how is that brought about? I mean, you're leading 12,000 cast members who lead part-time staff and saying, I'm going to provide a medical moment. Yeah, it's 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 funny, and, and I was just thinking about uh, the podcast today when we, we talked about how we run our business. I think everything we deal with is on a continuum, and there's things at opposite ends. And so you'd think that okay, if I have um, people supporting the organization, they're serious about the finances and that kind of thing. But the purpose, you know, that may be their role. That role may be selling ice cream. The role may be sweeping. The role may be finance. But you got to remember what your purpose is. Mm. And what we talk with our cast members about at Disney is your purpose is to make sure you create the best vacation a guest has ever had. Mm. So regardless of your role, everyone's got to be connected to that purpose. And you got to remind people about that all the time. Mm. And at our costuming area, you know, they don't get to see guests. They're providing costumes to our cast members. But we remind them, you know what, your cast members are your guests. And if you give them great service and you create these magical moments for them and you make sure you're taking care of them, then uh, when they go out and help the guests, they'll be more likely to do that because you put them in the right mindset. So to your point, I think everyone in the organization has to be connected to what the guest uh, product is or the moment which you're creating for them. And uh, during the holidays, we have all our support areas come out. They work in the park. They bus tables. They clean the park. They're greeters. And um, it's a scary it's scary for them. If you work in finance all the time and put you on Main Street where you've got thousands of people coming up to you, I don't care how good at your job it is. It's, it's, uh, it's a little intimidating. But we want to make sure they remember why we're in business and see the, the, the faces of those kids and see how excited those families are. So they get back to their jobs. They really connect what they're doing back to what the main purpose of this. Yeah, it comes down to impact 100%. And I think, you know, as you're out now teaching leadership and working with companies all over the world, you know, I, I think about, you know, you say, oh, it's Disney. You know, you can only, Disney's different than our company. But, you know, the lessons, you know, I, I Walt Disney is someone, I've read all his books, big impact on me, big influence on me. And, you know, he talked about, you know, every day he would try to walk the park just to be able to put himself in the customers and the cast members' shoes. As a leader, was that something that you, you did every day? And, you know, how does that, you know, when you're teaching different companies now, do you teach, hey, you got to be walking around, you got to feel the pulse of the organization? Yeah, so we call, we, we refer to where, where the magic happens at, at Disney. And the magic doesn't happen with the vice president talking to their general managers. And the magic does not happen with finance talking to the teams. The, the magic happens anywhere a cast member is interacting with the guests. And that's where it is. And so you got to remind yourself to always bring it back to that. That's where the guests are going to decide whether they're having a great experience, whether they're getting a magical experience, whether all the money they spent has been worth it. And so we're constantly um, uh, reminding people about where, where that magic happens. And you have to um, you have to hone back and, and, and make sure people don't, don't forget that. And so when it came to me, um, and I, I preach this all the time, there are no small things at Disney. And I think in any business, there's nothing that's too detailed. And I think you know, the way it used to be, well, I paid my dues, I'm an executive now, and I don't get involved in the small things. But the small things is where the value happens. And so I'd actually block time on my calendar, and my assistant would block time for me. And my time would be, go walk the park. Mm. And I treat it like a meeting. I treat it like anything else. 
else because if you just wait for to have free time to go do that kind of thing, it'll never happen. Mm. And so people would see that there was time blocked in my calendar, and I it would I would pop up and it said, "Hey, Dan, go walk the park." And I'd get up, grab my uh, my lanyard, go in the park, and just start walking around. Mm. And uh, people used to ask me, "Well, when you you went out and walked around, what would you do? Like, what was your purpose?" Out there? <laughs> and a lot of people thought. Well, you must be talking to guests. You must be interacting with guests and creating magical moments for them. And I would do some of that, but my main focus was talking to the cast members. Mm. And for me, it was a simple mathematical formula. I can go out and talk to 100 guests in a couple hours, or I can go out and talk to 100 cast members who each can talk to 100 guests. And so we kind of call this the value chain, right? You start with great leadership, create a great environment for your cast members. If they feel respected and valued and trained and don't listen to, they're going to be more likely to provide great guest service, people get great guest service, they rate the experience higher, they have a higher intent to return, mm. and that's where you make your money. So the money and the profitability is just an outcome. It's a lagging indicator of all the work you're doing. Where the value is, is way upstream, where the leadership and the environment happens, the culture happens. And I think why people bypass that sometimes is it's really hard to measure culture. You can't go out and get a spreadsheet to find out how strong your culture is and how much value a magical moment's creating. But if you start to break it down and realize that if you can make, create those excellent environments, people won't think about going anywhere else on their vacation, and they'll be more likely to come back. And yeah. you know, we can have a guest come back every five years, or we can just spend a whole bunch of marketing to try to get new people to come. And I'd love to try to have the same people come back. So we've already proven. So I go down to the I go to a table and introduce myself to some cast members I didn't know. And when I first started doing it, it was like, why is the vice president down here? And why is he sitting with us? And what does he want? <laughs> and uh, after a while, people started to realize that that's just kind of what I did. Yeah. And I chat with them. And they tell, and I ask them, what's going well? What do you wish we could do better? If you were, if you were in my shoes, what would, would you do better? And it's incredible how much they share with you. And I'd come back to my office after those, those lunch meetings or walk in the park with a, a little list of to-dos on very small things, big and small. Because uh, uh, people are pretty um, – once they get to know you and they know why you're out talking to them, they're more than, they're more than happy to share about what they think you can do to improve the place. Wow. It's a great lesson in, in humility too. You know, the vice president is just sitting in their office. They're actually you – know, if you were in my shoes, you know, what, what would you do? What could we do better? And I think that shows a lot. And probably very few leaders are actually doing that. And I want to unpack something you said there too about, you know, the small things can end up being very big things. You know, what details – mattered most to you as a leader when you were either walking the park or I mean I think this is a this attention to detail is something that's not focused on enough yeah well you start with which is what a lot of people look at it's just looking at uh, I'll call it infrastructure so you look at is there chip paint is the concrete are things clean are all the light bulbs on is the door are, are the is are the windows cleaned? Um, you just kind of look at the environment and step back and look at all the individual details. And because um, a lot of times when you go into a, a theme park, you go into a restaurant, um, you walk in and you just get an immediate feel that okay, this this feels like this place is well managed and it just feels good. Why do you say that? Well, I don't know. It just feels like everything fits and is right. And so, and I think once. You, uh, you're cursed, and I'm cursed. Every time I go into a lobby of a hotel now or a restaurant, I quickly do my scan. I evaluate how well it's maintained, and that, that gives me a first sense of whether the, the service is going to be good, whether it's going to be clean, whether it's safe to be there. 
And then the other, the next thing from my standpoint was looking at um, our cast members mm. and where are they standing. Um, it's it, and I learned over time at Disney, and you can learn a lot of places. Is if you move three feet to the left or right, you will have very little interaction with people. But if you stand in the middle, you'll have a lot more interaction. Mm. And so making sure is deep detailed as uh, a cast member at an ice cream cart and if everyone knew the rule well the rule and the guideline what we trained them was if you don't have any guests at your ice cream cart you should come out from behind and stand in front of it and um i never took that for granted and every time a cast member was standing up front i'd walk up and have a little fun and say hey why are you standing in front of your cart and i'd say it in a way that sounded like maybe it wasn't the right thing to do <laughs> so well i was trained that way because I'm supposed to be available for the guests to answer questions. I said, that's exactly right. I'd shake their hand, card, thank them, and I'd make a big deal. So I just wouldn't assume that just because they're standing out there, I'd just say, well, they're doing what they're trained to do. So it's nothing special because it was such a big deal. And um, what I learned, and, and there's a great, there's a, a book, uh, Good to Great. Mm-hmm. And over time, I learned that the enemy of great is not, is not, is not bad. It's easy to see when someone's doing a, someone's doing a bad job. They don't have their name tag on or not talking to anybody. The enemy of great is good. Because when people are doing a good job, we're, we're less likely to coach them. We're less likely to go ahead and give them some critical feedback or try to improve their performance because it's it's hard to do. You sound like maybe you're picking on them. But if you let your, uh, your employees know at the beginning, first of all, I want to know who you are. I want a relationship with you. I want to know about you. And by the way, when you do a good job, I'm going to tell you. And when I think you can improve, I'm going to tell you. Mm. And so once you have a relationship with people, you don't have to sandwich it. You know what you always hear about how you coach somebody. Well, you give them some good feedback and you give them the critical feedback. You end with the good feedback. So they feel good about things. <laughs> the reality is when you have a great relationship with someone, you just tell them straight up was something's good or bad mm. and move on. And they'll actually listen to you because you have a relationship and you've invested in that relationship. And so, uh, I had cast members. I've known for 20 years and i could walk up to them and say hey get your get your butt out in front of the car you know what the deal is they say yeah i know i know if i said that for collinsburg cast remember they'd probably break out in tears and call hr and report me in your relationship you can be much more candid with people and much more effective in how you influence their behavior oh i love that i love that oh quickly back in time dan you know you started parking cars at epcot that was, that was your first job and I wonder if you could have a list of the people that started parking cars and ended up being a vice president of uh, Magic Kingdom. I'm sure it's a pretty small list. You know, I, I loved it when you first started because you were actually in these cast, cast shoes. What, what did you learn those first days when you were there? Well, I knew that I was going to be there for six months and I was going to go to Disneyland Paris and be a management trainee. So every every day when I came in, I, I was really evaluating the experience of being a cast member, but I was also watching the leadership. And I was seeing when they were around, when they weren't around, what they said, what they didn't say. I knew I had the advantage of them coming in a break room and saying something to us and leaving and getting to hear what we all thought about that. Mm. And so I, was, I, I kind of considered myself a fly on the wall. Mm. I never imagined I'd get to the, you know, the level I was later in my career, but I knew I was going to be in a management role. And I knew that um, having you know played on sports teams and, and, and working, that um, understanding what the frontline people think about things was really important and i learned a ton and i learned a ton about um who was um who had credibility and who didn't and even now when i talk to leadership teams i tell everyone look you all have a reputation everyone single one of you has a reputation with your cast members and if i asked them to make a list from number one to the last one who they'd rather work with they could probably come up with a pretty consistent list and i said it's all based on your reputation your reputation is based on what you do 
And mm-hmm. I said, there's some of you when um, there's a your closing shift that all the cast say, well, who's closing tonight? Well, so and so is closing. Okay, don't worry about it then. They never they're never out of operation. They'll be in their office the whole shift. Or others will say, well, make sure you're on your toes because they're out. And they they'll they'll be interacting and observing you. Or others, it's um, yeah, uh, make sure you're doing what you need to do because they don't know what's going, they don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so everyone has a reputation, and, and it's important people recognize that and know that they can influence that just by the way they behave. And role modeling is such a huge way to influence, and it's a huge way to build your reputation. You don't have to think about it. You just have to go work hard and, and pay attention to people, and your reputation will be formed. Did you decide the leader you wanted to be You know, those first six months, that first year? I did. I, as I grew up, I knew that, um, you know, my, my dad, and my parents were big on, um, you know, respecting people and we traveled a lot and they, um, you know, as, as my dad, as he tells his story, you know, he grew up in Oklahoma in the fifties and that wasn't the most inclusive, diverse environment ever. And he heard a lot of things about different people. And he said, you know, as he raised me, we never heard that in my house and, and people were respected. And so I, I learned that early on that, um, you know, this, this idea of, of, of valuing people is important. And then once I got in the leadership role, you, you, you certainly don't know everything, but you kind of know who you are. And then you start seeing role models. Hmm. And if I, if I pointed back at my career, I could point to the people who had huge impacts on me and big influences on how I lead. I'd take the good stuff, I'd leave the bad stuff. And over time, my style became sort of a, a bit to all the people I worked for and worked with. Mm. I, I, I want to dive into that because I, I think the role model is a huge, huge piece of growing as a leader. You know, is, is one that comes to mind, like what was one thing that you really learned from one of those role models that you really embodied? Gosh, so there wasn't just one, yeah. but there, um, I had one of my uh, leaders was incredibly focused on um, being connected with me. And so when I would leave her a voicemail or an email, she would always return it. And she'd say, hey, just want to let you at your voicemail. Thanks for the update. appreciate that. And it reinforced the communication. It reinforced the behavior. And the more she did that, the more I wanted to do that well because she was giving me signs that she appreciated that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people, you don't have to send a – you don't have to respond back to someone to let them know you got their message and you appreciate the feedback. But it reinforces the kind of behaviors you want. I learned that over time, how important that mm-hmm. is. In today's that. world where people don't get as much attention, um, I learned from other leaders um, attention to detail. Mm-hmm. And so uh, one of the, the people I worked for early on, he's, he's actually, actually the vice president now of the Animal Kingdom, Duan Rivers. And he, he was, was my boss when I was an um, operations rooms manager at the All-Star Resort. Resort. And, and so, so I'd never worked in resorts extensively. And so I spent two weeks training as a housekeeper. <laughs> That's a hard job. <laughs> yeah, good luck. And... Um, so he said, he said, all right, go ahead. At the end of your training, I want you to go clean the room, and I'm going to come out with the executive housekeeping manager. We're going to inspect it, and we're going to tell you how you did. And so I went, man, I cleaned this room, and it was perfect. And he came in with his uh, with the executive housekeeping manager, and they found like 20 things wrong with it. And uh, on one hand, it kind of pissed me off a little bit. Like, yeah, come on. I worked hard on this. Yeah. But he taught me, hey, you thought this was good, but you're not – Close and you haven't been in housekeeping. This is what great looks like. And so mm-hmm. the, the people a lot of times that, that pushed you the hardest or, you know, kind of challenged you in the moment, you don't always enjoy those moments. But boy, when you get into other situations and your bar is set at a different level because they've held you to a, uh-huh. a higher level of accountability, 
you really appreciate them. And I've been that through coaches and sports, and I've had bosses that have been that way. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. In the moment, it seemed very demanding, but in hindsight, you look back, you go, man, they had a high bar, and they, they expect a lot, and that makes you that much better. And theoretically, they just care a lot. They care about you. They care about the organization. By having that attention to detail and accountability, it really just comes down to caring. <laughs> you know? That's what yeah. I, yeah. And they're professionals, too. They're yeah. professionals, and they, they want to do their job well, and they want you to do your job well because – that's going to ensure success. And oh, it's, great. It's, uh, it's about having a high standard. That's great. That's great. Going to one fun game in a second. But just out of curiosity, when I, a Disney Spring, absolutely love, been there numerous times. And is, it, you go know, choreographed at Disney, you know, the, not only just the music, but the, 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 the other sounds, the, the nature sounds, the smells. Is that choreographed throughout different areas so you really feel part of it? It is, and I think sometimes it's not, and people think it is. But uh, Walt Disney early on, he realized how important, you know, trying to take a two-dimensional movie and build a three-dimensional set, which is really what a theme park is. Mm. And you want to be able to tap into all the various senses. And so whether it's the pavement changes color and it changes um, uh, how it's designed, the smells. We certainly have uh, locations that we're able to uh, push out certain smells to get you in that a different mood and feel like you're in a different place. The background music. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, at Disney, when the background music is a, playing for someone at Disney, it's deafening because you can tell, okay, something's missing here. There's not. Mm-hmm. You know, we should have some music playing. And so I think thinking through all of those uh, aspects is um, it, it plays on you know human nature and all the human senses. And if yeah. you can do that, people don't even know how they're being influenced, mm. but they know it's right. So that was curiosity. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. We're going to go into a game now, Dan. Are you mentally prepared for this? Uh, I, uh, I, I think I am. Let's give it a go. <laughs> all right. It's truth and dare. Which one would you like first? Oh, boy. I'll take uh, truth. All right. Truth. What was one of the biggest challenges that you had to overcome at Disney? So the big, one of the biggest challenges, I think, is a challenge that many people who work at Disney have to overcome. And it's coming to the realization that no one at Disney gets anything done by themselves. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of us like to think we're very resourceful and we'll go out and come up with a great idea and, and do something. But what I learned at Disney is it's the standard is too high and the place is too big and it's too complex to do anything by yourself. And every time I tried to kind of run ahead with an idea and not include people, it was a miserable failure. Mm. And it's uh, kind of humbling because, you know, I think in the United States and, and, and having lived in France for five years, I got some good exposure to different cultures. And um, I think the United States is very much, you know, we, we like individual performance. You look at basketball players, football players, and um, team sports are uh, a lot about individual achievement. And at Disney, like a lot of great companies, um, we need a bunch of really strong people, but you need people to collaborate and can swallow their ego and be part of a team and share the success. And uh, I, I ran into that a few times when my ego got the best of me. I tried to go ahead and do something on my own and realize, you know what, Dan, it's not going to happen. You have to have your team members with you. You have to have people that are buying into what you want to do. Ah, that's great. All right, well, you're not going to get away from the dare. It's truth and dare. So are you ready for this? I'll, I'll take, take the dare. <laughs> there you go. This is a game we play at the stadium. It's called Sing in the Blank. So I actually play a song, and you have to finish those song lyrics. Usually we have one grandstand versus the other, but it's just you, my friend. But this song is a Disney song, and it actually fits with kind of your change in your path right now. Are you ready for it? 
I do, and I apologize in advance for whatever's going to happen. <laughs> Don't worry. We've had a lot of bad singers throughout. Here we go. I can open your eyes. Right when it finishes. Take you wonder by wonder over sideways and under on a magic carpet ride. A whole new world. A whole new world is ahead of us, I guess. <laughs> that was really bad. Back old school. I thought this would be fitting now that you've left Disney and you're, ta you're taking this all new challenge, but uh, that was good. I'm glad. If you didn't know Disney song, that would have been bad. bad day. That would have been embarrassing. Thanks for uh, giving me a softball. <laughs> My pleasure. Excellent. Excellent. That's truth and dare. All right. I'm going to go a little bit more and then finish with our final rounds here. Uh, you know, I'm really intrigued. I love the quote you said. It's not just about your people. It's all about your people. Obviously, that's how Disney's built what they've done and now how you're teaching companies. But I have a question. The scorecard. You know, you just mentioned this a little bit about performance. How, was there a scorecard that was set up at Disney? I mean, there's so many part-time cast members. I'm intrigued by this with our stadium and all these different employees that may not be full-time employees. How did you set up a scorecard in, in, uh, in building that culture? Wow, that's a great question because with technology now, and especially Disney, we measure a lot of things. We, we And I'll tell you, we have a scorecard for everything. But what I learned over time was, um, and I, I'll call that the holy grail, we're always looking for the perfect scorecards. At the end of the year, I can sit down with you and say, look, I added your score up, and here's how you did this year, and here's your number. Um, the thing is, when you're, when, when you're talking about culture, it's not linear. And it doesn't add up that way. So there's certain there's certainly parts of our business we were able to measure. And so when you think about all the financial results, uh, we, we used um, a version of a tool that I really uh, thought was called Net Promoter Score. And it's a lot of companies use that. And if you Google that, you can see it. It's a very simple way to avoid measure how you're doing and bring you back to the guest-centric approach. You ask people to rate you on a scale of 1 to 10, how likely would you be to recommend this experience to a friend or a colleague, and why. So you get a quantitative feedback and you get qualitative feedback. And if, if people score you a 9 or a 10, they're considered promoters. They'll go out of their way to recommend the experience that they had. If they're a um, 7 or an 8, they're neutral. They won't talk about you positively or negatively. And if they're six or below, they'll be detractors, and they'll go out of their way to talk negatively about the experience they had with you. Mm. And we use that for a lot of things we did because at the end of the day, we can come up with all the scores and things we think are important. But if you're going to be guest-centric in your approach, you got to keep listening to the guests because sometimes we put processes in place we think are great, but they're actually just complicating the guest experience. Mm. And we think we have a win, and the guest is saying, you know, it's actually a loss. So. Um, we would, I'd just say generally is we had a list of metrics. We measure people on the results they got, and we had a list of metrics on measuring how people got those results. And we did that through employee surveys and through, um, you know, when I walked around and talked to cast members, I got an idea of how the area was being led and managed, and I was able to get feedback on that. So I think at, at a high level, high level um, you know, there, that could be a that could be a five-day seminar on how you measure results, but. If, if, as, as long, long as, as I think people, people have a list of um, are people behaving in a way that supports the culture you want, how do you measure that, and are they getting the results you want? And uh, it's sometimes how you get the results is just as important as the results you get because if you're going to have to work with people continuously, you have to maintain that trust in your relationship. Mm. Well, it's, it's such a – you said a five-day seminar. I mean it's such an important thing because you look at – 
you know, I, I was just thinking if there's a person selling, you know, ice cream in Frontierland, you know, how are they how are they evaluated? And just to be clear, and I know you can't go too much into details here, but based on leaders having conversations with them, watching them, plus uh, the customers, the guests, if they happen to rate that station, is that am I hearing this correctly? Yeah, so you'd observe that cast member okay. and you'd see, okay, are they getting guest compliments or are we getting complaints? Or when we go out and observe them, are they making eye contact and are they greeting the guest? And, and um, technically, are they doing the job correctly? Okay. And you'd have the opportunity to, to, to observe and, and, and tell them that. The thing is, things have to be pretty extreme to get a compliment and they have to be pretty extreme to get a complaint. And so you have to look in the middle and make sure is, okay, if if I told you standing in front of that ice cream cart when you didn't have guests is important, if I go out and see you doing that, then I know that guests are going to be more likely to approach you, ask you questions, interact with you. So you're doing the job we asked you to do. And I'm going to compliment. I'm going to reinforce that behavior. And if you're not doing that, I'm going to go remind you to do that. And if I'm organized, I'm going to go back a week later and I'm going to use Siri or some organizational tool to go see if you're doing it. If you are, then I'm going to tell great job. If you're not, I'm going to remind you just a second time to talk about it and see if there's any reason you're having trouble doing that. And uh, it's, it's, you know, when you have 12,000 cast members, you have to be pretty organized and you have to have a good sense of tracking who you talk to. And, you know, I don't have a great memory, but I certainly use technology to remind me about the conversations and where I left off the last time I talked to somebody. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, what do you, if, if you could narrow it down, what do you think just made the Disney culture so special and if you were to work with a company like what would you say like to simplify it is there something that really made it what it is i mean as they say magical yeah over the years i think every time we've tried to complicate or or we we we, we tend to we do tend to complicate things we want to make things more complicated than they really are and i think technology gets us confused sometimes I think we get caught up in, you know, with technology, just because you can do, do something doesn't mean you should do it. Mm. You know, it's just, it's, is it really going to add value or not? So I think coming back to this role and purpose statement is every time I think we kind of lost our way or kind of got confused about what we're trying to do, we go back and say, okay, remind, let's remember why we're in business. We are here to make sure every guest has the best vacation they ever had. They could just simplify that and then it makes decision that much easier. I love that, Dan. All right, let's go to our final rounds, have some fun. I got to go this opposite, you know, thinking that I saw on your website, in order to move quickly, organizations must slow down. Can you explain that? Yeah, and I I took that from a book uh, called Strategic Speed that I'd read, and it talks about the fact that, um, and I think this is like anything we do. Sometimes we get overwhelmed we just try to work longer hours or we try to work um, harder. And the complexity of the world today is not that. It takes a lot of planning and, mm. and you have to find moments where you're going to step in and just work long hours. And there's moments when you have to take a step back and just question the way you're getting the work done. Mm. And uh, I don't think organizations and people spend enough time thinking. Mm. Um, I think that they, the, the new app comes about or the new – you know, organizational tool comes, a new technology comes, and they say, well, let's just grab this one. It just complicates things. And yeah. so um, I found time on my calendar um, about once a month. Uh, I'd take an afternoon off, and it was just thinking time. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people get caught up in, well, do you, do you know how much work you, do, you weren't able to get done during that thinking time? Oh, jeez. I said, well, that's the whole point. <laughs> and when I did meetings, uh, retreats with my executive team, most of the meeting wouldn't be about on what we're doing. It was about how we're doing it. You know, are we communicating well? Am I giving you clarity on what the goals are? 
uh, and we would just question all that. And so once we fixed those kind of things, we went back. We were much more. We were much better at solving problems. Um, and I think a lot of retreats and a lot of times people hone in on specific problems as opposed to the approach they're taking on how to solve them. And uh, that thinking time is important. And I think people get nervous that well, if I'm, what if we don't think about anything that's going to be beneficial? Well, you always are. If you take time, take a step back question why you're doing something, what value it's bringing, you always can make a better decision. 100%. Well, you need to work more on the business sometimes than working in the business. And, you know, Bill Gates was famous for having think weeks, literally weeks, where he would just go think. So uh, that's brilliant. Thanks for sharing. All right, you know, do you have one view that's different than most as far as business? I don't know if I have one view that's that much different, but I just, my time when I saw the successes and the challenges we had at Disney and I look at what I'm doing now, um, I just think that this this constant investment and understanding all the soft skills, how people feel about things, how, you know, do they feel trusted, do they feel valued? I just think we get too excited about, once again, the technical part of the jobs and the technology and that kind of thing, and we don't realize how big a resource and how much potential we have in people. And... Um, I just, I just know that the 12,000 customers of Magic Kingdom, we never, and I don't know if everyone, we never were able to tap into each individual. They have so much to offer, so much background, so many experiences, but time is our enemy. Uh, the scale of our operation was our enemy, and we weren't able to get all the way in there again. So I just tell people when they, they look around, like, well, how are we going to solve this problem? I think most of the time you have the solution around you. You just got to spend time and don't judge people based on their level or whether English is their second language. You know, I lived in France for five years. I was not a native speaker and I was misunderstood often and, and couldn't participate. And I've learned over time that you just got to um, get rid of all the stereotypes you have because people have incredible things to offer. You just got to slow down and pay attention. Mm, it's good to know them. You know, it's funny. We have a director of fun here at our ballpark and unbelievable on-field host and puts on a show. And the other day, I found out he could also was also a drummer. So we have a 30-piece pep band at our baseball games, which is pretty ridiculous. But I said, hey, you enjoy drumming? He goes, oh, yeah, I love drumming. So he got on the dugout and just started drumming on our drum line in the game. It's like, wow, you never would have known that if you started just asking questions. Hey, what are the other things that you enjoy? And, you know, bringing out the best in people. And I, I saw you talk something about a corporate athlete. Can you explain that? Yeah, so... Uh, once again, uh, none of these thoughts are original to me. I just read a lot. And there's some, a lot of articles about there about the when you talk about the corporate athletes. So some of the, um, I guess, the bullet points of this are, if you look at um, people who work and you look at people who play sports professionally and you look at the differences, um, a professional athlete usually trains, let's say, 95 to 98 percent of the time and competes about two percent of the time, while in the business world. We probably compete and work 98% of the time, and if we get lucky, we get 2% of time to train and revitalize and think about what we're doing. Um, and I would tell you that the, the stresses, the psychological stresses and the emotional stresses on someone working uh, in a job are comparable mm-hmm. with that of a professional athlete. Now, they may not be physically the same, um, but they're but certainly they're, uh, the same stress same levels. Stress. And, and so, so this, this idea, idea of, um, you, you know, know, when people, people kind of brag and say, well, I only got six hours of sleep last night, last night. You know, you, you never, never hear a professional, professional brag about that. Before, before a big before game, they only got six hours of sleep. sleep. They hydrate, <laughs> they, they work, work out, out, they eat 
right, right. They really focus on taking care of themselves and managing themselves because they know if they don't take care of themselves, they can't perform. And I'm a, I'm a big advocate of that is before you try to go out and lead a team of people or lead an organization, you got to look inward and you have to be selfish and you have to take care of yourself. You have to get the right amount of um, time to mentally be in a good place. You should take care of yourself. You should be fit. Um, you should, you know, have have other activities outside of work to balance yourself. And once you do that right, then you are much better positioned to be great at leading and participating with your family or or your work environment. I love that. I love that. Now, uh, a question on tool time. Now. Uh-huh. Is there a tool that you use while you're with Disney or now that's really become a successful part of your business, a tool that you use every day that's really helped you be successful? Well, I don't I can't talk to a specific tool, but certainly when it comes to organizational skills, um, that has been and I think um, you know, once you get organized, you can become spontaneous and you can be you, you can do a lot of other things. But I've always had a focus on organization and whether you um, Use an electronic tool or a, or a paper tool. If you got to have a process and you got to have a system of how you plan everything. And so I use um, my calendar extensively. I'm able to know people's birthdays. Um, I have, have you know, I put reminders for myself as I tell my kids, you have a computer in your pocket. You literally have a computer in your pocket to remind you when to do things. And a lot of people don't write things down and they just don't stay organized. And then uh, the, the one I've really heavily the past two years has been Evernote. Yep. And uh, you can, there's no limit to it. And I put, I put travel in there. People I meet, uh, if I'm in a place, a good restaurant, I take a picture of it. And it's searchable. And it's like, like Evernote advertises. It's kind of like my second brain. Yeah. Oh, I can access things really quickly to remind me of things I've done. Yeah, it's dangerous. I use it all the time. All right, before we get our final four, I, you know, we're talking about a lot of Disney creating magic moments. But I'd love for you personally, Dan, has there been one moment in your life that's really stood out? Hmm. So, I've had a lot of pretty uh, uh, cool moments. My my wife would argue otherwise, because one of the moments that I that was pretty special to me is when I proposed to, for her uh, for us to get married. And uh, you know, we were living outside of Paris, and you know, out of all the places I could have proposed with the Eiffel Tower and all those places there, um, I we, we kind of agreed to get married while we were doing the dishes one morning in our apartment. <laughs> and so she always gives me a hard time about that but i'll never forget those moments where marriage i mean when you got to see so many people having these life moments and celebrating them at disney um there's thousands of those and um that's something i'm certainly going to miss i think in my new in my new job because you got to be right there in those moments that people are going to you know, like your example the typhoon lagoon i bet that cast member has done hundreds of those and they don't remember you specifically they certainly remember that but you'll never forget about that no, well, you're so lucky in the sense that they've become just a part of your life. You know, people maybe only have a few of those special moments, but you've been able to really embody them as an experience, which is unbelievable. All right, Dan, I want to go to our yeah. final four here. Um, what's something you've done differently in your life to stand out? I would say I have um, – I, I, I was raised this way and I learned to be this way is to be open-minded. And um, uh, there's a great article I read about luck a few years ago, and I really adopted that as my mantra is – um, you can create luck. And people who are lucky, uh, when bad things happen to them, they think about all the things that could have been worse. They're more open to chance opportunities. They're more open-minded. 
expanded. They see the world differently. Mm. And I think I've always taken things with a very positive attitude. Some people would say that that's a little bit um, um, being too optimistic. But um, I'm always looking for the positive in things and being open-minded. And over time, the more open-minded I've been, the more good things happen. And uh, it's, a, it's a fun way to live. No, it's great. It's great. If it gives advice to someone, maybe starting out in business, to stand out in business, and what would you say? Um, I would say have an incredibly positive attitude. And come in every day as a yes person, someone who can get things done, someone who's always going to find a solution. Um, it's once again this idea of it's pretty easy to be good or very good it's really hard to be excellent so find that place where you're going to add value because um, I've had you know, I've talked to college program kids after their semester and they say well you know how did I do and the managers say well you were good you were average you came and did the job you're supposed to do and they say well I want to be a star. It's like, well, if you want to be a star, there's a lot more that comes to that. So I think coming in and finding that extra value to add every day um, is it's hard to do, but it's not that if you can, if you can make it happen, you'll, you'll certainly stand out among your peer group. Oh, that's awesome. Final two here. What's the best advice you've ever received? Uh, it was from my grandfather. He um, retired uh, he was uh, he went to the U.S. Naval Academy and he graduated in three years and went off to World War II and he was a naval architect and he was just a really impressive guy and I have a quote he wrote on a piece of paper and I still have it and I, I, I kind of value it. Um, his quote was, uh, "Do your best and then forgive yourself." And um, I've taken that to heart over time. And people listen to that quote and they, they, they understand different things out of it. But over time, every day you get up, you do the best you can. At the end of the day, you forgive yourself. You go back and you try again the next day. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Now, finally, Dan, how do you want remembered? I'd like to be remembered as someone who cared about people and, and taught them something to help make their life a little bit better. Perfect. It says it all. Excellent, my friend. I can't thank you enough for uh, rocking it out on Business Done Differently, singing a little bit Aladdin, Whole New World, and sharing so much about what you've learned at Disney and the leadership lessons. You know, where can people learn and connect more with you? Yeah, so I have my website up and running, uh, dancockrell.com. You know, once in the idea of keeping things simple, there you go, dancockrell.com. <laughs> and uh, I'm doing uh, keynote speeches. I'm doing some consulting and just starting to, you know, talk to people about opportunities. And if people want they can sign up. I send out, um, I curate articles that I think are um, very helpful, and I send those out on a weekly basis. So if people want to subscribe to that, they can sign up there, and um, uh, they can see I have uh, some of my leadership themes on there. All the podcasts and some of the media stuff I've done is on that website, and that's the way that people can contact me if they're interested in hearing more about what I'm doing. Outstanding. All right. Have a great summer. Thanks a lot. You too. Take care. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Business Done Differently. Our goal is simple, to inspire you to think different, have fun, and stand out in business and in life. For more ways you can stand out in your business, visit findyouryellowtux.com and you can get the Yellow Tux Handbook for free with the six steps to stand out directly from the Find Your Yellow Tux book. Finally, a big shout out to Podcast Pilot for producing the show and making all the magic happen. For questions, ideas, and feedback, I'd love to hear from you. So shoot a note to jesse at findyouryellowtux.com. Until next time, stop standing still, start standing out.